The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts, and here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard, some days I have to look at my phone to know what day it is. It's you know every day runs together when you work every day, which is kind of where I am. I, I kind of depended on Mississippi State's schedule sometimes to kind of keep me on track, but without school being in session, without ball games being played, some days, you know, every day feels like a Thursday. Just kind of how it is. I got to remind myself, oh, we got to record a show today. So here we are, and uh, the big news right out of the gate. Let's go ahead and get right to this. Mississippi State University, the premier institute of higher learning in the sovereign state of Mississippi, has announced that it does plan to have in person instruction this fall. When classes resume, let's get right to the statement. Sid Salter, longtime respected journalist in our state, has been uh, kind of the spokesperson uh, for Lee Hall now for some time. So let me, I'm just going to read you the statement in its entirety so we don't lose anything. That's one of the things that has happened in our culture. A lot of times people just read headlines and they read the lead and don't get into the details, which is why we have this name, image, and likeness discussion. We're going to spend a lot of time on name, image, and likeness today, too, so go ahead and prepare for that. I spent a lot of time thinking about this, and I've reached out to some people that know a lot more about this than you and I do, and I'm going to share some of the concerns. But before we get to that, let's read that Sid Salter statement. Mississippi State University President Mark E. Keenum said the university is fully committed to welcoming students back to campus this fall and that plan to resume and that that, that plan to resume in person I think we got a mistake there this fall and that plans to resume in person classroom and laboratory instruction in the fall 2020 semester are on schedule and taking solid form as the university continues development of specific new operating guidelines so what the first thing we can take from that is we will have in-person instruction this fall at Mississippi State University. But clearly there are going to be some precautions taken. There's going to be, uh, you know, some, some new measures in place to ensure safety. Keenum, on April 28th, announced MSU's institutional intention for MSU to resume more traditional operations in the fall. Under Keenum's direction, the university has convened a COVID-19 task force that is focused on fostering a safe environment for the return of MSU students, faculty, staff, and visitors to campus within the confines of official federal and state government guidance and that of the leadership of recognized public health agencies. 
The MSU Task Force will produce guidelines to assist MSU across all campuses in transitioning back to more traditional campus activities. These will include revising the academic calendar to minimize disruption, focusing on sp spread reduction technologies including social and physical distancing, increased cleaning and disinfectant protocols across facilities, and the availability and use of face, face covering. So right there, there it is right there. There's one thing's right there. We may be wearing masks this year on campus at Mississippi State, and that, to, me, to me, it's a small price to pay. Repopulating MSU through a robust screening strategy bolstered by testing where needed and contact tracing. Containment and isolation procedures if positive COVID-19 cases become present on campus. And that's really a big concern, isn't it? What do we do if we have a bit of an outbreak? Do we dismiss classes again? Do we quarantine in place? What do we do? Those are the things Mississippi State's kind of working through. Exploring the appropriate mixture of hybrid online and face-to-face -face instruction, classroom, and other facilities usage and innovative class scheduling. We're going to see more online classes. You're already seeing a ton of that now, but we're going to have more of that. And we're going to have more people working at home and that sort of stuff. It's a new day and time. But when you know, a lot of these classes that are taught by like a you know a TA or something, you know, or, or you know a grad assistant or whatever, I suspect you're going to see a lot of those go you know kind of more to to distance learning. Back to Mississippi State statement: Considering innovative and alternative best practices in campus life, business functions, athletics extension, and other public outreach in campus life. With MSU Provost David Shaw's leadership position on the state task force in developing strategies for the reopening of all states' public universities, Keenum said MSU will benefit from the expertise of other veteran higher education administrators on the IHL task force and share that information with MSU's COVID-19 task force. Joining Shaw on the IHL task force is everybody's favorite MSU Vice President for Student Affairs, Regina Hyatt. Keenum said MSU's COVID-19 task force would develop a strategy to reopen that included guidance and input from the IHL task force and direct input from MSU stakeholders and the shared governance model that already exists on the MSU campus with faculty, staff, and students. You can find more information at mstate.edu. So here is what we're dealing with right now as we kind of look at this on its face. We are seeing some steps back towards normalcy. But as you guys have heard the cliched phrase many times, there's going to be a new normal, especially this year. It's not going to be just a free-for-all. We just say, hey, well, you know, to heck with everything. We're just going to go back to doing things the way we were. That's irresponsible. It's also irresponsible, I believe, at this point, knowing what we know to hold the nation in place. I'm not going to get into some political discussion. That's not what you're here for, and that's not really what I want to be a part of. But the bottom line is, is that we have got to be able to get kids back in school. There are some parents out there that are unable to work because they can't afford child care. You know, it's, they need the kids to be in school. So we're going to see some of that, but we're all going to be somewhat inconvenienced. I think it's a small price to pay to have some of the things back that we love. You go back to ball games and all of a sudden you got to wear a mask to go watch the Bulldogs play, you know, that's fine with me. You know, especially in those winter months, you know, a lot of people go ahead and have a have a scarf over their face anyway. But if that's the minimum 
are really the maximum that we have to do. If we have to be safe to go to the ball game, then it's worth it. I'm really more worried about basketball. <laughs> yeah, you cram, you know, I guess, uh, you, you know, six, seven, eight thousand people in the Humphrey Coliseum in an enclosed environment right there. You know, I think that's uh, that could be, you know, a breeding ground for some for misuse. And that's the thing when you go to a ball game, I mean, you, you, you're kind of right on top of each other. But we can't wait forever. I'm glad to see the university take this step. And this is also kind of removes one of those excuses. There are a lot of people that work in sports media that are interesting to me. There are some people that work in sports I don't think even like sports. <laughs> and I mean that. And I think there are a lot of people that work in sports that don't like work either. And so there have been these, these negative Natalies that have been out here. And oh, we're never going to have football again. We're never going to be able to do this. And I think it's because they don't want to go cover practice. I think it's because they don't want to travel. I think people have gotten used to being in their cocoons a little bit and watching the latest on Netflix, laying up in the bed all day and getting up and punching out, you know, a thousand word article or whatever and calling it a day. It's good work if you can get it. But the bottom line is we're here to cover sports. America needs sports. It's good for the collective psyche. We need competition. Look at how everybody's talking about this Michael Jordan in the Bulls documentary. The nation needed this, and I credit ESPN for rolling it out early. Love it. Absolutely love it. But the bottom line is this. There are a lot of people out there that, uh, that really don't want us to resume playing sport. And it's not because they're worried about us. There are some people that say, well, you know, yeah, I worry about everything, Steve. So I'm you know, worried about you know, Lane Kiffin stealing all of our recruits and burning down the campus. I'll worry about this if I want to. And you go right ahead and do that. But there are other people in our industry I think they've just gotten comfortable being at home. And I think there are a lot of people out there that will say and do anything to redirect our eyes. They will say and do anything, just like yesterday. Colin Coward makes a statement that he's heard from people that he trusts, that Alabama and USC is not happening. And then what happens is you have Greg Byrne and then the, the athletic director from, from USC both come out and give statements and say, oh, no, we're expecting to play. We're, gonna, we're planning to play each other. And, but but how many people read that Colin Coward tweet and listened to that nonsense? Is some guy claiming to have a source, and then the next thing you know, you know, we we get administrators having to make statements to kind of quell the uprising a little bit, you know, because all of a sudden, yeah, it's two very passionate fan bases. Not to mention, there are a lot of eyes on games like that are saying, you know what, if they cancel that game, they'll cancel our game against New Mexico. If they'll cancel USC and Alabama, what will they do to the rest of us? And so it sets a, you know, a panic in place. And so, I, again, I think Colin Coward, again, and, and he's not alone. I'm not just picking on him. There are a lot of people out there that are just agent provocateurs. They're going to say whatever they have to do to get you to click, to get you to read. And there is no recourse. I mean, go back and look. I mean, it's just like you know, to kind of go back on the Jordan thing. You know, how many, how many people back then – wrote these articles about the NBA suspending Michael Jordan for 18 months over a gambling investigation, even though it was not illegal to gamble. He didn't do anything unethical, but a lot of people come out there and say, well, you know, this is why he went and played baseball. As one guy said in the show, it was not journalism's finest hour. And then other people were suggesting that perhaps his father was killed over his own gambling debts. And that's the thing that I think about with people that work in my profession, a lot of people say, well, you know, they call themselves journalists. 
It's funny, though, the guys that I see beating their chest the most, most about beating journalists never break any news. They report a lot. They write a lot. They respond a lot. We've had some of that in our own state. You know, we've got people that write articles about articles and aggregate everything and call themselves journalists, and they're really not. They're basically just a click pirate bandit. And so, you know, when I look at these things, I begin to think to myself, you know, let's look at what the principles in the matter are having to say. I don't care what Colin Coward has to say, but I do care what Greg Byrne has to say, because I think Greg Byrne knows a little more about what's happening at the University of Alabama than a radio sports talk guy. Call me crazy, but that's just my feeling. I can't imagine Colin Coward's any better sourced than the athletic directors who agreed to play the game. You know, and I mentioned too about some people in sports. You know, and and I'll share this with you. I'm not going to mention any names, but uh, over the years, you know, we've worked with a lot of people. There's been a lot of people that have been in and out of the Mississippi State beat. You know, I've sat there before and listened to guys in the media, you know, self-proclaimed journalists, you know, basically root against Mississippi State. That's one thing that we hear about. Well, you know, you shouldn't cheer for the team you cover. Well, you know, I'm guilty. But I also think you shouldn't pull against the team you cover. You know, I had somebody, you know, a few years back and said, you know, to my baseball, said, you know, man, I, if if they're not going to go to Omaha, I don't even want them to go to Hoover. I just want them to tank the season because I want to have some summer. So we went to Omaha a while back, and that lasted, you know, back in 13. You know, we, we were gone for a month. We didn't have any summer. And I sit here and think to myself, are you kidding me? We cover sports for a living. We get to go to Omaha. And when I went to Omaha, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Right now, I'm already mourning the fact that I don't get to go this year. I would go see Mississippi State play baseball anywhere if I possibly could. I love covering Mississippi State. And you know what? When I didn't get to cover Mississippi State, I still love covering sports. I remember being at Alex Box Stadium, stringing for our Oregon State site, when Pat Casey and, uh, and the Beavers came down there and played LSU, in that regional. I know she ultimately wins the thing, but it was so exciting to, to meet other people and to meet Pat Casey and to deal with him and, and to be able to cover teams that you don't know quite as much about and do the research and kind of become familiar with those teams. And then all of a sudden, Oregon State rises to prominence. And I began to think to myself, man, I remember meeting these, that, that guy. I remember meeting Casey and how great he was to me. And it's just like something Terry Bradshaw told me years and years ago at a, at a business convention. Love what you do or do something else. And there are so many people that cover sports that are so absolutely miserable. And you can tell it in their work. They don't want to do it. They don't take any pride in what they do. They just kind of push that stuff out there and just kind of hope for the best. You know, as long as somebody keeps sending the checks, they'll keep writing their crappy articles. They, just, they, they don't have any, any care about their readership. They just want to go out there and do the bare minimum and continue to receive a paycheck. And I, and I think that matters. And I think you know some of those people. I think you can treat them nationally. There's so many of those people out there that just, you know, they hate when anything positive happens because they want to write about controversy. They want to write about things that are that are going to automatically get clicks that kind of, you know, overcomes their inability to, to actually write. There are a lot of people that can't write the story, so they need the rumors and innuendo to kind of paint the narrative for them. So let me encourage you again. Stick with what people actually say and not what other people report they say. So if you don't trust me, go read the statement from Sid Salter today right there on the msstate.edu and you can see for yourself.
I want to play football. I think Mississippi State wants to play football. I know you want State to play football, and some of you are going to make decisions. You know what, Steve? They're going to play, but you know what? I, I might be a little bit, uh, you know, uh, weakened on the immune system, so I'm going to maybe watch them from home. And you know what? That's your right. That is a personal decision that you make, and I absolutely support that. You know, I want as many people as can be here to be here, but I want to be here safely. The Mississippi State family is not as big as some other schools. We can't afford to have an epidemic sweep through our family. So everybody's got to make some personal decisions for themselves. But I think one of the things you look at now, one of the excuses many people in the media said, is that, well, you know, without students, we can't play football, which was a complete lie. Just another, another layer in the onion to be able to say, oh, well, you know, well, maybe if they don't go to school, we won't have football. You know, well, we can still figure those things out. But Mississippi State, we plan to have class. One form or another, we're going to have class. We're going to have kids back in Starkville. And Starkville needs the kids here. We're a college town. We need the kids to be here. You guys bring a lot of life to this town, not just to the campus, not just to Humphrey Coliseum, not just to the student section, not just to Hobies and Cowbells and Ricks. You guys bring a lot of life. We need you to be here. Our faculty need you to be here. You got purpose. The whole point in Starkville, Mississippi being here is for Mississippi State. That's why I'm here. That's why you come here, to celebrate Mississippi State. So that's the big news right out of the gate. We're going to have a good time. We're going to be careful. We're going to look out for each other. Because it's one of the things that I, that I know is I, I've got a responsibility for your health, too. I need to, listen, if, if I want to stay home and stay cooped up and, and uh, you kind of look out the window and live life that way, it's certainly my right. But if I do go out, i got to be responsible for you, too. We're all in this thing together. Bulldog Burger Company, they're in it with you, too. Longtime sponsors of the show, man. Love Bulldog Burger Company. You will, too. They're beginning to kind of, we're seeing some steps taken, okay, with restaurants and Starkville now. We're getting some, some measured in-house dining. There are some people that are basically eating outside. Bulldog Burger Company is going to be a part of that. But we have a lot of people right now are saying, you know what, Steve, I've gotten used to just kind of pick and take up and bring it at home. I'm comfortable doing that. You can do that from now on. You never have to eat in a restaurant again the rest of your life if you don't want to. Bulldog Burger Company wants your business either way. And they deserve it. Two locations now to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas and on Gloucester Street in Tupelo. You can still order the quarantine special, the family feast, four Bulldog Burgers. That's the signature burger. Four order fries and a gallon of sweet tea, $29.95. You can't beat it, man. What a great deal. Bulldog Burger Company, the place in now Starkville and Tupelo where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. So let's get in top ten list. I had, uh, let, me, let me give credit here. The other day, somebody said, I, I butchered her name, and I want to apologize to her publicly. Tara Boyd Enlow asked me to do the, uh, the walk-ups, and I messed it up because I didn't know her Twitter handle. And then, you know, we have been uh, friends on social media for years, and uh, I, I butchered it. So, Tara, I love you, and I'm sorry. So there you go. So today's top ten list suggestion is uh is from uh let me get this for you here because I've got I have to look I've got a bunch of different social media accounts I've got to go back and forth with but this is gonna be from uh Brian Norman. Brian Norman follows me on Twitter. You can find him on Twitter if you'd like if you would say hey dude that was a great suggestion let's be friends. He is at B Norman T 
10. B. Norman, the number 10. So Brian says, Steve, let's talk about the top 10 biggest hitters in Mississippi State football. We could talk about top 10 baseball hitters, but we're not. We're going to talk about the guys that wore the maroon and white that would absolutely change your all for you if you were an opposing player. If you were a ball carrier and you came out there and you got a little loose and fast, and these guys would tattoo you a little bit. Brian and I go ahead and – well, I'm going to go ahead and tell you now, Brian, we don't agree on number one. And that's the fun part of these lists, right, is to get people talking. So in my mind, these are the guys, and all of these but one have been in the past, say, 20 years or so. There's one that's a classic. And if you ever can find footage of him, you'll know exactly why I included him. It's, it's not just a shout-out to the previous generation. This is a guy that played a long time. So no honorable mentions today, but number 10 on my list of the hardest-hitting football players in the history of Mississippi State. And just so you guys know, all these guys are on defense. I think it kind of goes with the description. You know what I'm saying? Number 10 for me, safety Demon Glanton out of Georgia. Demon Glanton. When I say the name right now, every one of you guys that has been a long-time Mississippi State football fan right now, who am I thinking about when I say Demon Glanton? I'll give you a second. You're thinking Jimmy Johns, right? Demond Glanton changed the course of his life. Jimmy Johns right now probably thinks that he owns a sandwich shop somewhere because Demond Glanton absolutely destroyed Jimmy Johns on a kickoff coverage deal. He went down there, and Jimmy Johns could not put one foot in front of the other. Absolutely murderous hit. And that was kind of what Demond did. He was kind of known as that guy that, you know, really had no regard for his own personal safety. I don't know that he could play in today's game you know, with all these targeting rules and things like that because DeMond Glanton, he would put you on the sidelines. He was a punishing hitter. That was the, the state had, you know, Derek Pegues, Keith Fitzhugh, DeMond Glanton. We had a pretty good rotation there, and Ellis Johnson used those guys pretty pretty liberally. But DeMond was the one guy that I, I look by. Fitzhugh was a big truck of a hitter too. But DeMond's the one guy that sometimes he would hit people and the whole crowd would wince. Number nine on my list, one of the best defensive players of the Jackie Sherrill era, Mario Hagan. Mario's the guy that could get out of his stance and get in the backfield. I can't count how many tackles for losses he had, and it seems like he had more than they gave him credit for. It seemed like he was constantly in the backfield. I remember that game against BYU up in Provo, and it seemed like Mario Hagan lined up in the backfield every single snap. He was constantly getting through that. There was nothing they could do to stop him. Mario Hagan, another guy that played in the NFL for a while, still comes to games. Saw him last year on the sidelines. Very guy, very much true maroon. Number eight on the list, Bernardrick McKinney. I don't know that we got, if, if BMAC had come back for one more year, I think he could have played his way up higher in the draft. But you look at the money he's making, he clearly made the right decision for himself. He's a fan favorite there for the Houston Texans. I think people forget to... We beat, like, Holmes Community College to get him. BMAC was a quarterback slash linebacker because he was the best athlete at Rosefort. Played for former Bulldog McKinley Scott. But BMAC is one of those guys, you, you look at now, he really kind of really developed more in the National Football League. He had a big senior year for us. But, man, if he had come back, there's no telling what had happened. But, again, I think it worked out pretty well for him. 
to making big big coin out there. Number seven on the list is Charles Mitchell. They called him C4 because he wore the number four and his first initial was C, but also a little double entendre. He was C4 because he blew stuff up. He would absolutely, absolutely lay people out in the open field. And that was the thing, too, about Charles. He made him such a skilled defender. Is He was such a great open field tacker, which is what you want in a safety. You know, a lot of guys get out there and just kind of get the angle and kind of kind of herd you out of bounds, but not Charles Mitchell. Charles Mitchell wanted to stop you in your tracks. You go back and look at that Egg Bowl, uh, I guess it was back in 09. This is final year here. He had a couple big hits on the, on Dexter McCluster. And that was the thing, too, that made McCluster so explosive that year is that uh, they had the ability, you know, to kind of get him outside. He was so tough to tackle because he was such a lucid runner. Uh, Charles Mitchell didn't have much trouble with him. But you go back and look at some of that footage of Charles Mitchell, you know exactly why he won the National Football League. It's because he would absolutely truck you. Number six, a guy we hadn't talked about in a long time. I remember he, he basically won the game for us against the University of Kentucky in 1997, Eric Brown. Eric Brown was one of those guys that if you crossed the face of the safety and he happened to be that safety, you were going to pay the price. He was such a vicious hitter. You know, had some big hits in the National Football League, too, got fined for them. But he is just one of those guys. He, he basically had two speeds, stop and hammer time. Simple as that. He would absolutely murder the ball carry, especially receivers when they came across the middle. Number five on my list is linebacker Jamar Chaney. When I say the name Jamar Chaney, those of you that are uh, like me, that you, know, you get to missing football and you go watch YouTube videos, there's one that I know, you all, I know you've all seen it. And if you haven't, you've done yourself a disservice in life. It's when Brent Schaefer threw the ball across the middle to Shea Hodge, and Jamar Chaney changed his life. Jamar Chaney hits him. It becomes the big uh, third down play. They had to punt to us, and we, we went on to win the ball game. Um, when they came out to help Shea Hodge up, he could not put one foot in front of the other. It was nowadays. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I, I think you probably get flagged for that. I think nowadays you, you probably get. You know, probably a first down. It's targeting. You know, but uh, on that day, under those rules, Jamar Chaney made a statement, and that was not. You know, that was not atypical for Jamar. I mean, that's the thing you begin to think about some of those linebackers we had in that area. I mean, you know, Jamar Chaney, Quentin Culberson, who signed as a corner and went to safety and grew into a linebacker. Yeah, Chris White is another guy that was a big hitter for us. But Jamar Chaney had, had had some memorable, some very memorable hits across the middle. I was in touch with Jamar a while back, and uh, even though he's working at the University of Florida and is committed to his job there, there's a part of his heart that's always here in Starkville, Mississippi. Number four on the list, and again, there's some YouTube videos you can go watch about this, Josh Morgan. Josh Morgan was one of those guys that uh, kind of got you know, thrust into the lineup due to some injuries, and once he got in the lineup, they couldn't get him out. You know, Rache Caldwell's family probably should have uh, Josh Morgan pay their dental insurance premium because uh, in that 47, I guess it was 47-35 win over Spurrier and that bunch, uh, Josh Morgan absolutely destroyed every Florida receiver that came across the middle. You can go back and look at, look at what he did to Clemson in, in the Peach Bowl. 
that's who Josh Morgan was. And for those of you, you Warren Central kids that listen to the show and you play for Coach Morgan, if you've never done it, go look him up on YouTube. It will change the way you look at your football coach. Josh Morgan was an absolute assassin patrolling the deep third in the Mississippi State Jolie Dunn defense. Number three on my list, and if you ever see this footage of him, whether it be with the Cowboys or Mississippi State, D.D. Lewis is one of those guys that not only would he punish you, he would do it over and over and over. And it, was, it wasn't a gentleman's game back then. You know, people, it's a little more of a tidy undertaking nowadays. But back in those days, it was uh, kind of a free-for-all. And D.D. Lewis was born for that. And there are probably a lot of people listening to the show that have a lot of stories they can tell about D.D. Lewis cleaning out the southern air over the years. You don't want to mess with D.D. Lewis. Of course, D.D. played in the National Football League for a while with the Dallas Cowboys. Great ambassador for Mississippi State. Still comes back to the M-Club meetings. Still very committed to Mississippi State University. Number two on my list, and, and this was number one on Mr. Norman's list, Ashley Cooper. He was a heat-seeking missile in maroon when he was here. When, um, when God created dog safety, he had Ashley Cooper in mind. When he began to sketch out what a dog safety should look like, should play like, uh, Ashley Cooper was exactly what was envisioned. He was one of those guys, if he ever came free on the Blitz, and Joe Lee used him a lot to do it, if he ever came free, somebody was leaving the game, and it wasn't going to be Ashley. It might be a running back stepping up trying to do a pass pro, or it might be a quarterback. I think, was it Phil Petty from South Carolina? I don't think he finished the game against us his entire career. And a lot of it had to do with Joe Lee Dunn and Ashley Cooper. There was a stretch there in 99, and it seemed like we scored a defensive touchdown every game. And Ashley Cooper was a big part of that. I hope we can find another Ashley Cooper with, this, with the, uh, the return to 335. But I got to go number one. I got to go Nico Whitley. I have to. How, how do you not? Nico Whitley, you know, I can go back and think of a lot of games where Nico Whitley, where the, you know, that great interception over the top of Cam Newton on that Thursday night game that we should have won, their national championship year at Auburn. Uh, I, I can think of the Georgia Washana Ely hit. People forget Washana Ely had set the Georgia State touchdown record. He was the guy. He was the the great running back. And Nico Whitley essentially ended his career. And I don't mean that he hit him illegally or whatever, but Washana Ely comes in the ball game and he's going to score, and Nico hits him, causes a fumble, keeps state in the ball game early. And uh, he never recovered. Rashawn Ely was never the same player again. I think he lost his confidence. I don't think he number one. I think he kind of, kind of got by on being a system running back too in high school. But Nico Whitley was one of those guys that you just didn't mess with. And, and, and I've had so many people that have said over the years, you know, about what Nico's doing. I actually had a chance to interview Nico uh, for Stark Villains. Nico's actually rapping. Um, <laughs> But uh, doing a good job with, with that, everything out there. Was very happy to talk. And, you know, that, that whole 2013 year, you know, with Nico playing through that, you know, par torn ACL, one of the great team stories in our history. But Nico Whitley, in my mind, the biggest hitter of my lifetime, consistently. There are a lot of guys out there that had big plays. Nico seemed to do it every game. 
And yeah, some people used to say, well, they didn't like Nico. He wasn't a good interviewer or whatever. And I'll be honest with you. I, I, here's when I think about all of that. Nico Whitley was a kid from JPS, covered in tattoos, that didn't want to talk to the media. That's exactly what I want in my strong safety. I want a guy that doesn't want a lot of publicity. I want a guy that's hardened. I want a guy that's not afraid of pain. I want a guy that's ready to go out there and just lay somebody out. That's football. Nico Willie was a football player and a great bulldog and one of the biggest, most vicious hitters we ever had. Campus Bookmart, they'll take care of you folks. If you hadn't been to Campus Bookmart, I'm encouraged you to go ahead and make plans to do so whenever you can. But if you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. By being a loyal Bondyard listener, they'll give you a little phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Mom, Dad, I'm going to say it again. The kids have been really good doing the best they can with this distance learning and homeschooling and that sort of stuff. Let's reward them with some new Mississippi State merchandise. Not to mention, you always need something new for the office or the game room or whatever. It never hurts to have some new Mississippi State stuff in your home. So when people come into your residence, they already know. Get you a yard sign, whatever. Get you a welcome mat. Get anything you need right there at campusbookmart.net. Again, promo code BSR. So let's jump into some of this name, image, and likeness stuff. <clears throat> this is, there are a lot of people that I think have, uh, you know, re really kind of a myopic view about all this. I don't think people fully understand the ramifications in the Pandora's box we're going to open with this. Uh, to be honest with you, with some of the discussions that are out there, some of the stuff that's in the media, and again, like I said earlier, you kind of got to take a lot of that with a grain of salt. But if this thing passes the way some people are suggesting that it should, it will essentially end college athletics as we know it. And so here are some of the things that I think are important. I've made a list here, and I'm, I'm going to get, um, I'm going to do my best to, uh, to kind of remember everything here. But uh, one of the first things it does is uh, it's going to make it that much more difficult for your athletic department to go out and raise funds. You know, because now as, a, as opposed to, let's say, you know, the Ford Place downtown in small town Mississippi, instead of them giving money to the Bulldog Club or giving the donations to help renovate the Humphrey Coliseum, well, we're going to go ahead and spend this money on you know, a name, image, and likeness deal from, for a kid from our hometown that's going to Mississippi State. And so now all of a sudden that money is still being spent, that the expenditure is still happening on behalf of the Ford Place, but it's not going to the university. It's not going to the Bulldog Club. Those funds are being now diverted to an individual. So Mississippi State doesn't really benefit from that. So that's that much more work the university has to go do to raise funds. Um... And there are a lot of people, too, and we, when we saw this with the Ole Miss investigation, and I'm, I don't bring that up to pick on them. I'm just using that because I think it's a parallel. There are a lot of people that were involved, you know, in some of that stuff that they, they didn't really want to invest in athletics. They just wanted access. They just wanted to be able to talk to coaches. They wanted to be around the players. They wanted to be able to be involved with the recruits. There are a lot of people that's what they want to do. In my mind, I guess they feel like their coaches aren't capable enough of recruiting, so they want to be involved. And there are a lot of people that give money just so they can, you know, that when they make a phone call to the athletic department, that the athletic director or somebody will, will take their call or return their email. So they're kind of trading a donation for access. And I think the introduction of third parties 
into the student-athlete university relationship is a disaster waiting to happen. That's one of the things that's been strictly prohibited over the years is booster contact with prospective student-athletes. And so if you're, you're basically legitimizing every bit of that, now they, there is no, uh, you know, now you'll have individuals that are not under the supervision of the NCAA, which is boosters. Those people will now be able to interact with prospective student-athletes, which are recruits, and then other athletes once they get there. And if you don't think that that's going to set up a unique little pay-for-play deal, you're kidding yourself. You know, another thing that I don't think a lot of people have thought about here is this is going to benefit a very small percentage of student-athletes. Let, let me give you a good example. Let's say Dak Prescott's here. Let's go back to 2014. Well, everybody wants Dak Prescott, right? Dak Prescott could not go to get his new iPhone without having to take a picture with everybody in the place. Okay, well, Dak was one of 11 on offense. You know, Ben Beckwith was a guy that was kind of a fan favorite too. Blaine Claus, all those guys all played pretty well. But do, do you think that there's going to be a lot of opportunities, you know, for your for your long snapper? Do you think there's going to be a lot of opportunities, you know, for the, the backup quarterback? And so then you begin to look at it across other sports. You know, well, if, if I'm going to spend my advertising dollars, I want to spend it with the most visible and recognizable student athlete in Mississippi State. And so, well, I'm not going to invest in softball, or I'm not going to invest in men's basketball, or I'm not going to invest in the bullpen catcher on Mississippi State baseball. I'm going to spend my money on Dak Prescott. Well, then I can't get Dak Prescott. Well, now all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute. Well, I'm giving this money, and why can't I get him? And why? So there's all these other, you introduce conflict where now none currently exists. I think also another big part of that, too, is division within teams. Let's say, for an example, and again, I'm not going to use any names or anything, but let's say that you know, let's say you got a quarterback out there that's getting all the money, and uh, and then you got some receivers out there that aren't, or you got offensive linemen out there that aren't, and uh, I, I don't care who you are, where you're from, if I'm benefiting and you're not, and uh, you know, I might have a little bit of haterism in, in my game. You know, I might say, you know what? Let's see how much money that he makes when we don't block for him. And then all of a sudden you put the student athlete in a position where it's like you, it's awkward for him. Well, you know, I'm out here making 25 grand a year through endorsements, and uh, the guys around me aren't making anything. And, and I, I can't just take them to Bulldog Burger once a week to keep everybody happy. That's not enough. When people see them driving a nicer car, taking their girls out on nicer dates, and, you know, that's the reality of life. When you're a college student, you begin to think, you know, man, you know, listen, I, I want to be able to do all that. I want to dance with a pretty girl. I want to be able to take her out for a steak dinner and show her that I like nice things. But I can't do that because I'm having to make my living uh, living off a stipend. And, I, and unlike a lot of people, my stipend is not extra money. I need that to live on. And so I think it creates division. And so I think that's one thing that I don't think anybody is really kind of preparing themselves for is what do you do when you increase the difference between the haves and have-nots within your own team? I think it also, too, makes a big impact on the coach and player relationship. And one of the things that I think about with all that is, is if, let's say, for an example, that, uh, you know, we've got, there's a kid, and he's got a name and, a name and image likeness deal with, uh, you know, a big donor that owns a big business that's Mississippi State friendly. Well, what if we have to bench the kid? What if all of a sudden we're like, you know what, he's not producing, we're going to sit him down. Well, then all of a sudden the business comes in and says, hey, well, listen, coach, you know, I've got a lot of money invested in this kid. 
you know, he's not marketable to me if you're not going to play him. So, Coach, you need to play him or we're going to pull our support. And if you don't think that's going to happen, you're kidding yourself. There are going to be a lot of people involved in this going to try to throw their weight around because of the money they invest. And so there's going to be all this pressure, this unnecessary pressure. There's going to be conversations having that, shouldn't, that aren't having to be had today because none of these people have any standing to have a conversation with the coach. And if you don't think it's going to happen, again, you're kidding yourself. And now all of a sudden, you know, the coaching relationship is no longer about mentorship. I mean, how, I mean, how do you get on a kid? How do you go get on him when he's making all this money? Now all of a sudden it's not about teaching because then all of a sudden it, does the kid become more or less coachable when he's making money as a college athlete? I think that's a very interesting dynamic. Well, you know, I've never had money before. Now all of a sudden I'm, I'm coming to, you know, to Mississippi State or Alabama or LSU, and uh, now I'm able to, uh, you know, to make a little money here. And uh, I, I was able to buy myself a car, and I've got a nicer apartment, and I've got some new furniture in there, and I, I'm living better than I ever have. And so some people would say, well, that would motivate them. But I think in other people, it, it encourages them to be lazy and say, you know what, I've arrived. Where does the hunger for the NFL or Major League Baseball or the NBA come from then? There is joy in the struggle. I'm not saying we've got to starve our student-athletes to death. But when you think kick around some of the dollars people are talking about, it could be a very negative thing. I think it also creates very unrealistic expectations. Because let's say for an example, you got somebody out there and, and they, they say, okay, well, the recruiting pitch can include any incentives. Well, that's okay. There won't be anything officially, but it's like it is now. You know, there are people out there now that are getting paid under the table. Now you're just going to legitimize every bit of that. Now you're going to make it legal for them to do that. You're going to allow people that, that want access to have access, and it's all legitimate because now they can say, hey, I contacted this five-star recruit because that was for my business. I'm going to, We're just trying to size him up to see if, if a name, image, and likeness contract works for us. Well, then all of a sudden, if he signs that deal, and then they come in thinking, okay, well, this is what's going to happen for me. Well, what happens after that first semester? When that business decides, you know what, I don't want to do this. Or maybe the whole thing was a ruse anyway, just to get a kid to sign. And once he's on campus, he's kind of stuck there. If you don't think people are going to manipulate this thing to help on the recruiting trail, you're kidding yourself. That's what's going to happen. That's not a maybe. That's going to happen. I mean, how many times do you see it? I mean, how many, you guys have watched that movie, The Program, right? Darnell Jefferson gets off the bus for his official visit, there's a marching band, and there's cheerleaders, and there's boosters, and there's everybody in the marching band out there to, to serenade him. And then he gets off the bus to report. There's nobody out there but a couple teammates. There's a lot of recruiting pitches that are made now within the legality of the current legislation that already kind of paints the universities in a bit of a false light because of the fact they think, hey, I'm going to come up here and you know, we're going to go out every weekend, we're going to be able to eat steak, and I'm going to be able to go to all these parties and everything else, and it's going to be great. And it's not like that all the time. It's just not. And so there's going to be some people that say, you know what, this is what I signed on for, and then they didn't deliver, so I'm going to transfer. So now all of a sudden we're filling a transfer portal up even more. Now there's more angst about all this stuff than there ever was before. I think one of the things that you think about, too, with all this um, – recruiting stuff is how how do you enforce it you know it's art right now you can't even catch people i mean it's look at what the, the ncaa has gone through with this nike basketball shoe deal stuff it took the fbi 
to find that stuff. And then the NCAA really hadn't acted on a lot of it. But you're already, because of the, you know, you don't have subpoena power. You can request documents, and they have a duty to give them to you, but you can't request them for free citizens. And so you get in this situation, I guess you can request them, I don't have to turn them over. But when you get into all of that, and then you begin to add this other variable to things, I think it makes it even almost virtually impossible to police impermissible benefits. Because now they'll just be funneled through the, the guise of legitimacy because of a name, image, and likeness deal. So now, you know, it's when you when you meet a linebacker or you know at a city park and you give him ten thousand dollars, you can just instead of you giving him ten thousand cash, you just write him a check. Send him a ten ninety nine. Which brings up another thing. How are they going to handle all the tax stuff? Are there going to be people, as a university, going to have to hire somebody to, to prepare taxes and to kind of counsel these young people on all this to protect them from getting into uh, you know, some tax burden somewhere? I mean, the, those, these, a lot of these kids, they've never made money before. They're coming right out of high school. Most of them have never even had a part-time job before. They've cut some grass to have a little spending money, but they haven't done a whole lot. Now, all of a sudden, you're introducing thousands of dollars into this thing. How do they manage it? How do they handle it? I think uh, you know we we talk about the uh, the third parties and the interference that comes from all that. You know, I I think that is probably the biggest red flag in the whole deal. Let's say that you put somebody involved that could, uh, you know, let's say that the university hires somebody that's going to field marketing offers for these kids or kind of go out and and kind of help them. And, and you know, people say, hey, listen, we we really would like to get a football player uh, to do some speaking for us or advertising. You know, so you have like a liaison that kind of works on behalf of the university and for the students, I, that makes little sense. But then when you bring in these other people, let's say they're able to contact the athletes directly and that'll happen. You know, I think, again, that's the Pandora's box that I don't think people are really talking about. You know, and what happens to when you get to the end of this thing and it's like, okay, well, we made a deal. You know, I agreed to come here because you guys told me that if I signed with your school, that I would get, you know, this this deal or whatever. And people say, well, you know, the coaches can't make that. Well, of course they, they won't, but other people make it on their behalf. Then how do you get out of it? You know, you would talk about letting people know where, where the leverage is. There are going to be a lot of people involved in that process. And I think we're going to have more NCAA enforcement cases. Because I think that there are going to be a lot of people out there, no matter how many rules you make, uh, cheaters cheat. That's what makes them cheaters. The rules don't apply to cheaters. And we've had some in the, in the state that have kind of gotten, you know, run afoul of things and, and probably didn't get their just due. But all that said, I, I think you're basically sanctioning cheating and you're making it almost impossible for the NCAA to keep up. I mean, you're going to have to go ahead and hire even more, more and more and more and more and more. NCAA enforcement staff. It's going to slow down the enforcement process even more. And we talked about, you know, how long the Ole Miss investigation went and how long it took just to get, you know, from the, uh, you know, the Committee on Infractions hearing to get sanctions, to get the appeal, the whole thing drug on. If you think that was long, wait until this happens. Because you're going to have to train new people. You're going to, have to hire new people. There's going to be a back a logjam of cases. You're going to have to have and, and hire more compliance officers to work at universities. Do you think, like Mississippi State, you've got Steve Smith and Bracky Brett and you know a couple of uh, student workers. you got a couple other people there that, that work for them. 
But now all of a sudden when you introduce all this potential for impropriety, you're going to have to have even more police. You're going to have even more people because you're going to have to police yourself to ensure that you don't have things that reach an NCAA violation. It's going to be an absolute nightmare for compliance. And I think one of the things when you look at all this, you know, at the end of the day, and this 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 might be the one thing that that changes everything, is the Title IX issues. How do you make this fair this from a gender equity standpoint? How do you make it fair for softball? How do you make it fair for women's basketball? Now, Mississippi State has got a big following in women's basketball. There's probably a lot of people that would like to have Rakia Jackson jersey. There are probably a lot of people that would like to have Rakia speaking on behalf of their business. But, you know, what do you do? Maybe you don't miss. You know, they don't. They have been the bottom feeders in women's basketball for a while now. Do you think there is a market value for any of their current players? I would say probably not. You know, as a school, they have not supported that. Back in the 70s and 80s and mid-90s, when Van Chancellor was at Ole Miss, Ole Miss was a power within the SEC and Nashville. Made the Sweet 16 a few times. So, but, you know, I'm sure when Armenti Price was coming through, there's a lot of people that would say, hey, let me, let me get her. That's not the case now. But what do you do at Wichita State? What do you do at FAU? What do you do at UAB for women's basketball? What do you do for them for softball? What do you do at Northwestern State? How do you make it fair? How do you make it work for everybody? Because let's say there, there are some football factories out there that really aren't competitive in other sports for the most part. You don't think that's going to have a gender equity issue? Are people going to say, you know what, it's bad enough you know, that we're a partial scholarship sport, and so the football players are going to school for free. They get all this extra free gear. They get all their meals paid for and their books paid for. They, they graduate college debt-free, and I have to pay to play, and then you're going to give them more money on top of it. How is that fair? You know, as a former college baseball parent, I'll tell you, that's one of the things you think about a lot. If you're going to play college baseball, if your kid's going to play, they're not going to get a full scholarship. Now, you might be able to piece some things together. But, you know, we had a kid that played in junior college and then went and played NAIA baseball at a private school. We had to pay. Still pay it. But you know what? I would pay it all over again anyway to watch my kid do it, to see him put on a college uniform and be able to play, even though it wasn't Division One baseball. I loved every second of it. Learned a lot of valuable lessons for both of us. But is it fair that my kid had to pay to go to college just because he excelled in a different sport? That's one of those things you begin to look at. And so now you're trying to create an even bigger gap when it comes to scholarship and equity. Football, men's basketball, women's basketball are already full scholarship sports. And then we're wanting to add more money on top of that. I think that is going to be a real sticking point. And I don't think that the Title IX people are going to let that, that slide. You've got to find a way to make sure that everybody benefits from this deal. That way it's not going to work. You know, it's one of those things that I began to think about, too, is like the, uh, you know, what about urban centers? You know, when you've got schools that are in, you know, like Georgia Tech, they're going to have a lot more marketing opportunities at Georgia Tech than they will in Biloxi, Mississippi. There may be some casinos down there that might, you know, let a kid get out there. But, you know, people forget. You know, the kid's not going to be able to get out there and wear his Mississippi State uniform 
not even going to be able to reference Mississippi State. They're just going to have to say, hey, this is so-and-so, and, uh, you know, come to the Ala Capri Casino or whatever. You know, come see the Biloxi Shuckers play, whatever. They're going to do that, but many people aren't going to, they're not going to recognize them outside of their uniform if they can't reference their school. And so I think that really drives the market value for many of these people. Their name, image, and likeness, brandability is not very strong. You know, one of the things I do think about that might actually be a, might be a positive for Mississippi State's on the baseball side of things. Let's just say for an example here, you know, Vanderbilt, you know, and again, I've said it a million times, they're not cheating because they're exploiting, you know, the, the need-based scholarship loophole that the NCAA allows. But in some ways, you can almost kind of level the playing field a little bit if you're state or old Miss because of the fact that, you know, our, our baseball players within Mississippi are, are celebrities. You don't think Jake Mangum could have made a fortune? You don't think Elijah Magnum could have probably made enough money to pay for college? They absolutely could. You think Ethan Small could have done that? Yeah, absolutely could. And that way he wouldn't have had to write a check the day he got his signing bonus to pay off the student loans. And so let's say, for an example, you, you got guys like Mangum and Ethan Small. All of a sudden they come in here and, and they create a market value for themselves. Well, now I could take them off academic aid. I could take them off athletic aid and save that 11.7 scholarship for somebody else. And then Elijah McNamee and Ethan Small and those guys are coming to school and paying their own way through their own their their own uh, name, image, and likeness money. Because at the end of the day, do you, do you think the registrar's office cares where that money comes from? They don't. And so that's the one. That's the only thing I look at and say, you know what? That that could be an issue. You know. That, but this is one of those things too. We're not that smart though. We're not the only ones that'll have that idea. You know, so I think it does probably bring Vanderbilt down, you know, from uh, from the advantages that they've created for themselves by exploiting these rules. But for us, I mean, you, you don't think that uh, you don't think that you know somebody involved in Mississippi State baseball couldn't pick up the phone and call and say, "Listen, hey, listen, here's what we're thinking about doing. You know, Jake's going to give up his scholarship this year, and uh, Elijah's going to get their scholarship, and Ethan's going to get their scholarship, but." We need to get a couple deals in place for these kids to uh, to make some money off their own branding and their own likeness uh, to be able to, uh, to to offset their expenditures, and we're going to use that scholarship money somewhere else. You don't think that could happen? It absolutely could happen. It'll happen everywhere, though. And there are some people out there, I mean, baseball is not a marketable sport, but for us it could be. For LSU, it would be. For Florida, it probably would be. Florida State, you get my drift. So I think in many respects, the gap between the haves and the have-nots gets even bigger, especially in baseball. I also think in football because of the fact that uh, you're going to have so many people out there that are so committed to it. You know, there's so many people that are so passionate about football. They're going to do whatever they can to kind of help their, their teams. As we have learned in recent years, there is no shortage of people willing to help their favorite college team. The whole thing to me... I think this is bad for college athletics. And this thing is going to move along like a glacier. You know, I mean, people are saying, oh, well, you know, this is going to happen and next year. No. We're, we, I believe we are years away because all of these things that we discussed today, all of that's got to be, be vetted out. they got to figure all this out. And so a lot of the student athletes that are in college today are not going to benefit from name, image, and likeness legislation. 
the thing you think about too, we've talked about this about college baseball before. You know, it's not the haves that control the sport. It's the have-nots. It's the G5s. You know, they call them Power Five for a reason, and you got, what, 32 major sports conferences out there? Do you think anybody in baseball is going to be willing to help the SEC? They're going to help Vanderbilt, Florida, Mississippi State, LSU? No. No. It's like, oh, you guys are already going to Omaha all the time. You guys are already hosting all the regionals. And now you want me to give you more money? You want me to give you more money so you can go out there and hire and fully fund your your volunteer assistant coach? You want me to give you more money, more scholarship dollars, so you can pull away from us even more, which is why I think that we need to go ahead and split into divisions for those that don't want to fully fund baseball. They they don't have to play Division One baseball. But that's the rub, isn't it? There are a lot of people out there that think, you know what, we're going to be Coastal Carolina. We're going to catch lightning in a bottle one year, and we're going to go all the way to Omaha and win a national championship. But the chances that it happen are, are pretty slim. But that's what everybody hangs on to. It's the dream of Omaha. So we hold the whole sport back because we, we think that we should be able to do that. Because let's be honest, from a recruiting standpoint, if you don't have a chance to go to, let's say you end up going to Kalamazoo, Michigan like they used to, you know, for a college World Series, let, let's call it, you know, let's call it an FCS College World Series. Or you drop the Division Two or whatever. It's just, you know, kids are not going to come. You know, the, the same kid is not going to go do that. It's doing it now. They're going to want to go play and have the dream of going to Omaha. And if you guys noticed earlier this week, we, uh, you know, um, Scotty DeBruley, taking advantage of that extra year of eligibility, got his uh, college degree in hand. He's going to be, be a grad transfer to Mississippi State and come in here and compete to be our second baseman. And I interviewed him. I said, what were you looking for when you went in the portal? The chance to go to Omaha. That's what I was looking for. I wanted the chance to go to Omaha. Oh, well, what do you know about Mississippi State? They had the best fans in all college baseball. That's what I know. So when you begin to look at this thing, you begin to realize that uh, this is a monster that I don't think a lot of people are going to be able to control without a lot of safeguards in place. And we have talked about this a lot on the show lately. But I've reached out and I've spoken to a few people and kind of gathered some information, gathered some opinions. And I really believe in its current form, the name, image, and likeness recommendations are not good for college sports. I think they're a nightmare for compliance at the NCAA level and the school level. And I think it's going to introduce so many people in the recruiting process. There's absolutely no way you're going to be able to enforce it. And you're basically going to make it all legitimate because they're going to be able to just sign a contract and just funnel money to these kids for next to nothing to get them to go to their school. It's, it's a decision that I would want to have to make. But I think the best thing, my honest opinion is, is to do something similar to what Major League Baseball does. Everybody signs a deal. That, you, know, you forfeit the right to make the money on your name, image, and likeness. You give the NCAA and your respective institution the ability to use that, and then everybody gets a check at the end of the year. And, that, and, you know, and maybe you even let them use that money for, for an escrow account for whenever they graduate college or whatever and kind of help them get their life started. I don't know. But I do think that they need to find a way. If, if we're going to sell their jerseys that they deserve, you know, some of the money. If, if we're going to open this can of worms, though, there has to be legislation to protect everybody. And not just the student athletes, but you have to be able to protect the institutions. Because there are going to be some people that are going to treat this thing like the wild, wild west. And the next thing you know... We're going to have enforcement cases out the wazoo. And that's how I feel about that. 
what's well, going to do it for today. I, uh, I, I guys, I've got 13 chapters for the next Star Billings book written. I'll, uh, I'll by the end of this month, I'll be done. I'll be done, and we'll go through the editing process next month, and then we'll send this thing off to publishing in hopes to have it in your hands for the beginning of football season in September. That's the plan. And so be looking for that as we get closer to that. Once we push it off the press, they'll make it available for pre-order. I'll make you guys aware of that. Uh, finished up Latoya Thomas chapter last night. She was great, very gracious, great teammate. Didn't want to say anything to uh, you know to make any of her teammates feel somewhat slighted. I asked her about ten why. She goes, I won't say she's my best teammate, not because she's not, but because I don't want any of the rest of them to get their feelings hurt. Even all these years later, she is so respectful of her teammates, and so I think it's wonderful. And I can't wait for you guys to read it. I'll I'll punch out Eric Molds this week and get that typed up and. Uh, and him talking about the 93 egg ball. You can go look up that great touchdown catch he had in that ball game. It's a, it's a tremendous catch. And Eric Moulds is a tremendous player, the best receiver to ever play at Mississippi State. But anyway, you can find all that at StarkBillingsTheBook.com. You can get Flim Flam there and Stark Billings. And when the new Stark Billings books comes out, whether we call it Stark Billings 2 or something completely different, you'll be able to pre-order from the same website. Nothing new. We're going to stick with StarkBillingsTheBook.com for the foreseeable future. I hope you guys have a great day today. We'll look forward to being back with you on Friday. You never know what's going to come up between now and then. But until then, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.